We're stepping into one of those seasons where often, you know, it's, uh, it's fun and games on the outside, but sometimes people just have little, oh, I'm still dealing with some things, and now I have to be all happy and cheery. And, and I believe that if, if we can get right what I'm going to share today, we can actually find true joy and find true victory in our hearts and get peace in our hearts. Good, let's put that on. All right. Is it in the right posse? Good, good to go. And, um, and, and really enjoy this season with God's full, full support behind us, yeah? So the title of today's message is, um, it's, it's not today. It's literally, it's like, not today. Or if you want to subtitle it, it's just, enough is enough. All right, how many of you felt at, like that at times? Just like, oh my goodness. What's going on? No, things have got to end. This has got to stop, right? And so sometimes we just have to draw a line in the sand and say, this ends today. And so I'm hoping for many of us it'll be that moment today where we just end with certain things, certain patterns, certain things and habits that we are, um, that we are doing that can really get us into that space with God where His truth starts dictating what happens in our reality and not the other way around. And so um, we're all in a, um, in a real life. I mean, we don't get to do, you know, live beta test, you know, 1.1. And then when we've figured out all the glitches, then we come and do life perfectly, right? It's live from the beginning, right? It's kind of why it's called life. Um, and, uh, and so there's no trial runs, all right? So you, you step onto the field and it's just, it's game time. And you have to, you have to run, you have to, you have to engage, and uh, um, so I'm so glad that our, our, our team, our high school team, you know, they, they, they won on, on, what was it, Saturday or Friday or something? Friday, Friday go dogs. And, uh, um, but it's funny how you get, you, for, for, for sports and all, you get to practice beforehand, but <clears throat> you don't really get to play the game and then analyze where you made all your mistakes and then you get a rerun of that same game and then go and win the game, right? It's like, you know, if you fumbled the ball you have to deal with it. Now you have to, like, you know, walk a shame back to your place, and then you have to shake it off, and you have to get back and engage again so that you don't do that again, right? Right? So, and it's the same with life. It's, it's live right from the start. And I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's tough. And so, and, and if that's not enough, we then get, as Christians, the added benefit of having to deal with a spiritual adversary as well, you know? A spiritual enemy that is literally trying to take us out around every corner. I mean, that feels at times a little overwhelming. It feels at times like war. How many of you felt like you've lived through war physically? And how many of you are in one right now? God has got great news for you. The devil's strategy is very simple. And he just follows the strategy over and over and over. It's like he's one move and he does this and... He's very successful at it. I want to show you what his strategy is. The devil starts by trying to get us to be defiled. In some form or the other, he wants to defile you because once, you've, once your heart is defiled, he could jump with condemnation on you. And he can wear you down with condemnation to the point where you no longer want to be around people and then he estranges you from the very places and relationships that can save you and bring you back into health. And once he has you isolated, he takes you out. He destroys you. And here's what his plan is. His plan is to get you to change your belief about God. 
He wants you to start doubting whether God is good, whether God is in fact real, and whether the whole story about Jesus is just a made-up story to help us to sleep better at night. And if he gets you there, he can get you to change your confession of faith. And that, by the way, is the way that you can lose your eternal salvation. If you stop confessing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he was a real individual who lived and died and rose from the dead on behalf of us to pay for the penalty of our sin, that means you're done. And that is Satan's strategy. He is trying to get each and every one of us to go down this path to be utterly destroyed at the end of the day. And so for us to prevent this from happening, I mean, you can, you can change this around at any point in this downward spiral. There is, a, there is enough power in the grace of Jesus Christ to turn it around even when you're at the point where you're doubting God's existence and to bring you back into full faith and confidence of His sacrifice on the cross for you and the accompanying life that comes with believing and following Jesus Christ. And so there's no hopeless place. Even if you do not believe in the existence of God, we need to have a conversation because there are many evidences that shows that God is in fact real. And you can get out of that place and start getting into a place of faith again where you can receive eternal salvation yourself, no matter if you're considering yourself to be an agnostic or an atheist right now. But the best place to counterattack this strategy of the enemy is to not even let it go past the first phase. It's to get it while it's not even settled in yet properly. It's to prevent it from even starting in the first place. Would you agree with that? And so we're going to focus on that today. And, um, and the question is, how do I prevent my heart from being defiled? And so we're going to have a look at um, what causes our heart to get defiled and what does that cause in our lives and then how to counteract that. How do I prevent my heart from being defiled and getting spoiled? So the word defiled means to be spoiled, to be impaired, to be degraded, polluted, or to be violated, or to be made impure. And that is Satan's strategy. If he can get your heart to be defiled, he kickstarts this process of wearing you down, wearing you down, wearing you down. And at the end of the day, uh, he, that's how he gains ground in our lives. But today we're saying... Enough is enough. Amen. Enough is enough. No longer are we going to allow this process to take place in our lives and to create ever-increasing havoc around us. And so how does our hearts become defiled? Well, they become defiled when we allow suggestions from the enemy called lies to take root in our hearts. And those suggestions become the context around we develop our opinions and our reason, and they become our thought patterns which lead to our actions. And if you believe the lie and it's taken maturity in your heart, your action based on that lie is going to be sinful. And that's when you get defiled. That's how we defile our hearts and our lives getting defiled. And there are two very important reference points that each Christian should take note of. It's the light of your conscience and it's the truth of Scripture. It's the Bible. And in, I used to surf a lot when I was in Cape Town. And, and in surfing, you have to be aware of current drift. So you enter the, the beach in one area, and one, when, once you're behind the waves, you can't really 
see that you're moving because you're just drifting on your board on water, but you're moving with the current of the ocean, and you constantly have to counteract the current because it takes you out of position and it can get you into trouble if you're, um, if you're not careful. And so what you do is you pick two reference points. You pick a reference point on the ground and you pick a reference point at elevation. And you make sure that you, that ref the reference point at elevation, the one on the ground, and you stay in line with each other. And that's how you stay in position. That's how you keep yourself in the right place where you know you'll catch the best waves. And it's the same for Christians. If you have to pick two reference points, the one is going to be the light of your conscience. But the light of your conscience always has to be in line with the truth of Scripture. And how many of you know, know that sometimes experiences in life kind of force us or, 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 or they, they put pressure on us to change our opinion about certain things? And, 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 and when that happens and when that consistently happens, the Bible says our consciences get seared and they're not sensitive any longer and we lose our first point of reference about what is right and wrong. And slowly but surely, a little drift takes place. A little drift takes place. And then this process kicks into place. And every, every, at every stage, another lie gets introduced. And that lie gets placed on top of this lie. And before long, you find yourself in an utterly confusing place. Not really understanding what happened. Where am I? Why do I feel this way? Why does my relationships look like this? Why, you know, why does my kids look like this? Why? Because you've... You've not been aware of the drift that has taken place in your life. And, and this, is, this, this, happens, this happens to me, this happens to everybody, because if we're not careful about the lies that take, takes root in our hearts, this will happen with you. And, you know, those lies get shared with us by just, you know, popular culture. Those lies get shared with us by just like blatant attacks on our lives that confront the truth of Jesus and if we do not take those thoughts captive, and if we don't counteract them with truth, you've just accepted it, that lie and the conditions around it, as your new truth, your new normal. And every single time you do that, you drift a little bit further and further and further away. And you might find yourself today in a position where you look at Scripture and you go, man, that's archaic. That's irrelevant to the 21st century. Why are people still congregating and listening to somebody talk about that? If you find yourself there, or if you just think that, man, I don't think the Bible's advice can help me get through my marriage issues right now, you've drifted. If you think, man, I don't think the Bible can help me with my wayward child right now, you've drifted. If you think, well, I don't think the Bible can help me out of my financial mess, what would, you know, those, those people that talk about the principles of scripture, finances and scripture, man, they just, it's a lot of, it's, 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 it's a lot of old timers just, you know, wishing things were the way they were a long time ago. That's not applicable to me right now. Right now, you've drifted. If by any means you doubt whether Scripture can help you navigate through the season of life you're in, I don't think that Scripture is going to help me, you know, patch things up with my parents. Man, they just, they just don't listen. And, and, and what can the Bible really help me with that? You've drifted. You've drifted away from the position where Jesus wants you and where He can guarantee life and abundance for you. And so... We need to counteract those lies because if we don't, they compound into a situation where we reach confusion and destruction in our lives, and it almost is as if it comes like a big surprise to us. It's like, oh my goodness, where did this come from? You know, all of a sudden, my marriage is falling apart, and I, you know, I want a divorce, and 
that doesn't just come like that. There's a, there have been times after times of you believing a lie. You're thinking, you know, the, you're believing a lie about your wife or your husband. Or, or you're not correcting um, an assumption that you made. And, and as you've not done that, drift has taken place. And all of a sudden you feel that your marriage is irredeemable. And if you believe that lie, you're done. But if you can manage to just hear me today and listen that those lies are meant to produce this in your life and Jesus can turn it around for you, maybe there's a chance for you to open a door to his truth that'll turn it around for you. And I believe that is, that is possible. And uh, um, because we have responsibility, we have control over what we do with the things that come into our hearts, right? Because it's, yes, we're facing these things in life. Yes, it's a real life. Yes, it's it's crazy at times, but you still have the ability to make decisions for yourself what you will believe and what you won't. And as hard as it might be to sometimes believe Scripture, by doing it, you're preserving your life. And so Mark 7, verse 15 says it's this. It says, it's not what goes into your body. And I will just take a little preacher's license here and say, it's not what's going on around your body either that defiles you but it's, you're defiled by what comes from your heart. And so you decide whether you're going to allow entrance for these lies into your life, into your heart, and whether you're going to allow that to become your new uh, reference point from where you make decisions and where you decide uh, what your opinion is about things. Um, so... The important thing here to, to recognize is, is our feelings are very bad leaders. Very, very, very bad leaders. But they're very strong leaders. It's difficult to tell your feelings no. Right? Well, I feel that this, you know, if it feels this good, it can't be that bad. Isn't there a song like that? If it makes you happy... It can't be that bad. Our feelings are often completely out of sync with what Scripture says. Because our feelings are influenced by our environment, by what we hear, by what happens to us. But our decisions ought not to be, ought not be dictated to by that. Um, and if we will allow the truth of Scripture to be the foundation upon which we make decisions and how we choose to do things, we will build our lives on a solid rock that cannot be shaken. And when storms come, not if, when they come, we will remain standing. And so that's very important. Let's listen to what James 1 verse 14 to 15 says. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So there's no way that I can point to things outside of me to blame shift away from the responsibility I have to manage my own soul. I have a responsibility to manage my own decisions, to manage my own feelings, and to incorporate the right knowledge into my life in order to build my life right. We're enticed by our own desire. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, death is like a placeholder there. You can put anything in there. You can put divorce in there. You can put, um, I get fired because of misconduct. 
You can put, you know, I get you know, prosecuted because I broke the law. Whatever you can put into death, you can, that's like a placeholder for us to, to put whatever you're going through, whatever destruction has taken place in your life, you can put that in there and realize that it all came from me not managing well the internal part of my life. Now, sure, there are things that happens to us that are outside of our control. I, I agree with that, and that is true. But you still have the responsibility to decide what you will do with what has happened to you, how you will respond to what has happened to you. And you can never put that blame on anybody else or that responsibility on anybody else. And if you, will, if you will listen to how Scripture advises you to act and to respond to that scenario, it will not end up in destruction. It will end up in preservation. Um, so what happens to us is we believe the lie, and then we act on the lie, and then we get defiled. And... The lies come to us through various ways. And I want to talk about three scenarios, scenarios that just makes lies so easy to, to just come and make home in our heart. Listen, the devil cannot force you physically to do something. But what he does is he watches you. And he's a good strategist. So he just looks at your weaknesses. And then he makes suggestions that he knows already appeals to you. For instance... If, um, if you have a love of money, right, and you see one of those ads pop up, you know, uh, he turned this many amounts of money into that much amount of money by just doing this one simple trick. I mean, if you've gotten <laughs> those ads uh, online, right? If you have the love of money and you're perpetually following unwise ways of, you know, working with money, things like that pops up. And because of what's weak inside of you, that's appealing to you. But if you're not suffering from this illness called the love of money, and that thing comes up, you go, baloney. (laughs) Another scam, deleted. Oh, I feel so cleansed. (laughs) What causes one person to just purge it and the other person to like... "Mm." Should I, should I not, should I, should I not? It's what's going on on the inside of your heart. And Satan just literally studies your life and see what are your your habitual mistakes and things. And then he just, he puts those things in front of you, makes little suggestions. He doesn't even, if you, you you, you know, like watching things that you're not supposed to be watching online, he doesn't have to put a full-on, you know, pornographic picture in front of you. He just puts a suggestive picture in front of you. Or he just... Something, but because of what's going on inside of you, that becomes attractive, and you want to grab a hold of that. So there are these ways that lies come to us, and we can combat those lies by being careful about three areas in our lives, and that's the three things I want to share with you today. The first one is to really make war on sin, habitual sin. Things that cause our lives to get defiled are sins that we keep doing, sins that we continue in doing. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10 to 11 talks about one of these sins that we habitually do that is such a poison 
to our lives. But really, you can put any habitual sin in this place because the minute you get stuck in a sin pattern, it starts messing with your mind. You have to do so much gymnastics in your mind to try and figure yourself around it that it becomes such a burden, most people just settle with the sin. So the drift takes place. Oh man, this is just, you know, this is just my, my thorn in the flesh. You know, somewhere the Bible says something about a, a thorn in the flesh. You know, this, I'm just going to, I just have to accept that I'm never going to get rid of this one. Listen, do not use the Bible to justify your sin. It's not what it's there for. Okay? <laughs> the, that scripture is completely taken out of context. The thorn in the flesh has nothing to do with habitual sin or temptation. You, We have to realize that um, we can use Scripture sometimes to justify things that we shouldn't. And it's unwise to take a Scripture out of context to help you to feel better about yourself in the moment. No, the way that we should act rather is by saying, this is not a part of me. I've been redeemed. I have been cleansed. Those things are not becoming to me. I do not have interest in those things anymore. And my want to has changed away from wanting to do that to wanting to live a life that glorifies God in every action and every, every one of my dealings. And so it doesn't matter what temptation you face, our, our approach to it needs to be to disassociate with it. Yeah. And there is no way that you can break through something that you've associated with. No way. You first have to disassociate with it. So if there's something that you're still stuck in, the first point of your victory is to say, I do not accept this. Even though it's got a hold on me, I deny its right to be with me. Right? Because until you do that, you, can, you cannot get out of it. You, because it, you, it's become your friend. It's become a crutch to you. It's become a coping mechanism to you. And so, so many of us have, have these little itty-bitty things that we just tolerate. No, we have to be ruthless with sin in our lives. We cannot accept it's, it's, it. And, and, and this becomes difficult because sometimes it takes long. I mean, sometimes it can take years to break out of a sin pattern. But see what happens year after year after year of you failing to break out of that thing. Drift happens. Your conscience gets lulled. Oh man, this ain't so bad. I only do it like every other week. (laughs) You see how these things just... And what happens is, yes, we kind of think that we're getting okay with it, but in actual fact, the enemy is getting on us and condemning us for it. And and he he takes territory and our identity... And we start losing who we are in Jesus Christ. And next time I need to pray for, to God to help me in a time of challenge, I don't feel I can approach God because, well, I just don't know why. I, I feel like this. Man. I, I, I don't have the confidence anymore before Him that I used to have. And that's why it's so important that we cannot settle with sin in our lives. You have to keep battling it. And here's the truth. Jesus' grace has given you enough, enough room for failure and enough power 
to get victory over it. You have been given everything you need to live a godly life, says uh, 1 Peter 3. That means that you can break free out of that thing. Stop believing the lie that says that you have to settle with it. There is no bondage that is stronger than the power of Jesus' grace in your life. And we have to accept that truth, dispel the, tr- the lie that said, I need to settle in it. So I can come back to Scripture and say, all right, Lord, how do I live my life according to your ways? And how do I get the victory accrued to my account physically in this part of life? Now, not one day when I'm dead and, and in heaven. So the second way we need it, second thing we need to be aware of that just makes it so easy for our minds to get stuck in lies is, is the words that we speak. First one is the sin we can continue. Second one is the words that we speak. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says the tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or life. There's that old, old adage that says sticks and stones can break my bones but words that cannot harm me. Well, that's the biggest lie out there. It's like, words hurt me more than anything else hurt me. Like, you know? Um, and then on top of that, I've got this, this you know, this love, um, this love language. We call it love languages. It's like, it's like a, a way that you experience love in the, the, the most or the best. And, and, and one of them is through words. And that, 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 that's kind of my love persuasion is like words. And so if, if I get a bad word come, out, come my way, I really have to like, you know, stand my stand and like, because I'm affected by words. Yeah. But I believe everybody gets affected by words to a degree. And the thing is that if you are perpetually uh, being, being um, uh, bombarded with negative words, with words that break down, anybody is going to get hurt by that. Words from other people. But you know what's even worse than that? Words that we speak about ourselves. Things we say about our lives, our decisions, our way of doing things that does not line up with what Scripture says about us. Those things cause even more harm to our hearts than the words that other people speak to us. Here's what you should rather do. You know that scripture verse that in the Bible says, every word spoken by God, no word spoken by God that comes from the mouth of God will return to God void. No, it shall go out and it will accomplish whatever it was sent to accomplish before it returns to God. What if we would take our words, the things that we say about ourselves, the things we say uh, to ourselves, what if we lined that up with what scripture says about us? And our words kind of get to piggyback ride on God's word about us. What happens? Those words go out. They accomplish whatever God wants for our lives before they return. And that's why we need to say the things that the Bible says about us, about us. All right. Let me get real practical. How many of you have said this before? Um, Pick a scenario and then you'd go, well, with my luck, you know, the worst thing is going to happen. How many of you have said that before? All right. And then how many of you often experience, um, like, you know, the worst of luck? Is that a surprise? No, you spoke it over your life. You chose that outcome. And you agreed with that outcome. I want to give you something different to try. Instead of saying, well, with my luck, start saying, well, with my God, this might happen. 
And I'm not saying this is a guarantee that like in a little magic, it's going to happen. No, I'm saying that you're actually opening up an opportunity instead of shutting the door closed completely at the first before it even starts. With my God, I might get that deal. With my God, I'm trusting that I will, I'll be able to buy that house. With my God, I hope that I can, I can uh, you know, fix that relationship. I hope with my God, maybe I can, I can fix things up with my kids. With my God, maybe I can go to my employer and, 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 and arbitrate a reason for not getting fired. With my God, instead of saying, well, with my luck. How many of you want God on your side rather than luck on your side? Yeah. Come on now, let's change the way we say it. Proverbs 6 verse 2 says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. Don't trap yourself with your words. Create opportunity for yourself with your words. Some of our words are killing God's goodness on our life. And, uh, and then we're surprised if, if, you know, we have perpetual calamity in our, in our lives. No. It matters what we say. It matters what we say. I want to I say something a little bit here about, about parenting. Because marriages and parenting have just been like on my radar the, the last, last time. The Bible says train up a child in the way that they should go. And before you crucify me for saying the next thing, I do believe in physical disciplining of children. All right? I do believe in that. But the Bible does not say beat your child up in the way that he should go. It says train him. All right? How many of you have heard your kids say things like, oh, man, I'm so stupid, or, oh, man, I'm never going to get any of X, Y, and Z, or I'm never going to get this right, or, uh, I don't know, I'll never have any friends. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. Let me, say, let me say this to you, parents. You are the guardians of your home and what is said in your home. And when your kids say that, you have to jump in front of them because there is a demon in front of them lying to their faces and they need to get you in their face telling them you are not a failure. You are not a bad person. They need you in their face telling them that you are going to make this. You can do this. Don't say that off yourself. We need to train them how to speak they have emotions that they do not know how to deal with. And by the way, a child's emotions are as real to them as you, yours are to you. Do not make their emotions off as being petty. Well, when I was your age, man, you know, we had much worse of a situation than that. And compared to what I'm dealing with right now, man, just, you know, just go to your room and play. Wow. And I mean, I've done that even. But learn that, I, that that is the worst thing to do because you're literally telling the child that, hey, whatever you're feeling doesn't matter. Whereas for them, that is the biggest thing they're dealing with right now in their lives. And what they don't they need is a critic telling them that, it, that they're stupid. What they need is a champion behind them saying to them, hey, you got this, buddy. Listen, this isn't but a thing. You're going to get over this. Let me help you. Here's what you say. You say, you say this. You say, I can do this. I might not know how to do this now, but I'm going to try until I get it. You put words in their mouths. You give them phrases to use. You train them how to manage their emotions, how to manage those situations. Words, man, they make a huge difference. Man, they make a huge difference. Um, like my little boy, 
the things he say, are, we, we love it so much. We, 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 we smile and laugh at it so much. But <laughs> it's, it's words I put in his mouth. Like if he walks around and he picks something up, the first thing he says is, I'm so strong. He speaks English now, by the way. Yeah. I blame you. <laughs> I'm so strong, Daddy. And like when he picks up the stupidest things, you know, but because it's, look, it looks big, you know, not even heavy. But I go, but when he picked up something for the first time, he didn't think of himself to say, I'm so strong. I said to him, wow, boy, you're so strong. I put those words in his mouth. Now that as he's formed his identity, he believes that of himself. That's how God wants us to use his word. He wants, this, he wants to put it in our mouths so that we will believe it of ourselves. Right? Um, let me say, get one more thing in there before I move on to the last point. Never, never make God out to be the bad guy in your attempt to get your child to do something. How many of you have heard it said that you know, God is watching you. Yeah. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna, he's gonna punish you if, you if you disobey me. And various other ways we use to do that, we say that. Think of what the perspective is that the child has grown up with about God. Yeah. That child goes and thinks God is a vindictive, like, force out there that is constantly watching him to just find out every time he does something wrong. How many of you have that perspective of God? Don't put up your hand. It's probably because that's what you've been told as a kid the whole time. Because of a frustrated parent that was kind of, you know, coming to the end of, of themselves and trying to manage the situation with maybe a, you know, a super active child or an undisciplined child, downright disrespectful child sometimes, and resort, but resorting to that end is never a good idea. Because at the end of the day, the same God you want to help you change that boy's or that girl's life is the very God that you're painting in a bad light to that child. Why do you think he's gonna, he, he doesn't want to serve Jesus when he, he comes of age? Because he doesn't want somebody looking over him, constantly condemning him and judging him for what he's doing. Every single time he makes a mistake, he feels this burden of just like, you know, I'm no good. I did it again. I failed again. No, paint a picture of God that says to that child, He is your father. He's your solution. He's your comfort. He is your, um, he's your helper. He's your trainer. He's the one that is going is to help you through tough times. He's your support. He comes alongside you. That's the picture we need to paint of God. That child will go, man, I'm going through a tough time. Let me see if I can memorize Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I found so much solace in that psalm, even though it's such a common psalm in my life as a child. I hung on to it because I had a mother who did not use God to manipulate me in, in disciplining me. The words we use in our lives are so important. And... Um, that's why we got to say today, enough is enough. 
Whatever words have been spoken to you that are not from God, you are free to reject. But rejecting them is not sufficient. You have to replace them with what the Bible says about you. Don't just leave an empty space hanging there. You have to put truth in that same place to hold you up when time gets tough. The third and final way that we need to be aware of that our hearts get defiled through the lies that the enemy suggests to us is the thoughts that we think, the meditations on our heart. The psalmist says, let the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. The way we think about things of ourselves and other people can make lies take root in our hearts. Proverbs 23, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you consider of yourself to be true, it's going to be real. It's going to be your reality. But if you start shifting the way you think about yourself, you start seeing yourself as a, hey man, I am no longer a sinner. I might have sin, but I am not a sinner. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is my nature. That is who I am now. And yes, I, can, I make mistakes. I'm not saying I am without sin, but I'm saying sin do not any longer define who I am. The righteousness of Jesus Christ defines me and says to me who I am. And according to that is how I consider living my life in front of other people. If you don't own your thoughts, they'll own you. They'll dictate to you how you need to react in a situation. They'll dictate to you how you need to respond when there is a, um, when there's something is being done to you. And if you do not pre-prepare your thoughts on how you're going to respond in those situations, your prior thoughts are going to dictate how that happens. And that's, what the, that's our work. Our work is to get the Word of God into our subconscious, wow, into our subconsciousness. So that whenever we have a knee-jerk thought that comes up, it's Scripture that comes up. The only way you do that is if you consume enough Scripture, if you read enough Scripture. The more you read Scripture, the Bible says it washes you. It washes your subconsciousness clean. It puts God's truths in the, in the upper parts of your subconscious mind. And when you need to draw on something, all of a sudden, boom, Scripture pops up. That's how it works. But you did the work beforehand to read the Bible, to put it in there in the first place. God needs our participation to get this word into our minds, into our mouths. So let's read Mark 7, verse 21. It says this, From within, out of a person's heart, comes, and then it puts a list of sins there. A whole lot. And this, these, yes, these things are present to us because of our nature. But you know what? In Jesus Christ, we have been given a superior nature that can overcome this nature, that can overrule this tendency, that can overrule this desire. It's a desire to honor God for who He is in our lives. And Proverbs 4 advises us to do this. It says, guard your heart above all else, 
Guard your heart above all else. We do a, a good job at guarding our possessions and our money and, and, and our, you know, sometimes our investments. And even the people around us, we do a good job at guarding. But often we do a very bad job at guarding our hearts. What's going on here? What's, what am I considering? What am I musing over? And if those things are the lies that is being shared with us through just things that happen, circumstances, things people said, things we did, things we struggle to get go of, we will not be standing strong in that place of righteousness. We will constantly fall into a place of defilement. And that's what the devil wants. But me guarding my heart is me saying, wait up. Why am I thinking this thought? Why am I assuming the worst in this matter? Why am I considering this action? It's bringing myself to a little standstill and reminding myself who I am and acting according to who I truly am by using the words of God. So I want to read us a psalm that shows the life of a person who does not expose his heart to just any, any old thought out there. Time fails, time fails me. Time, um, I, I want to say something about culture <laughs> and about how we need, to, we need to choose between being the, living and thinking according to the culture that we grew up in versus the culture that has been given to us by Christ. Because in that is a massive tussle in our lives. And Christ wants His way of doing and thinking and living to be first and foremost how we operate. And at times we need to literally deny ourselves our own cultural tenets and reject them in order to receive the life that Jesus has for us. I'll leave it at that for now. But this is what a life looks like of a person who makes Jesus' truths a part of his life, guards his heart, aligns his words with the words of Scripture, and makes sure that the musings of his, of his inner thoughts and all of that are in line with the truth of Scripture. This is what God's desire is for each and every one of us today. It says, blessed and fortunate, prosperous and favored by God, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of those who mock righteousness. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law and precepts, his teachings and his principles, they habitually meditate day and night. And so you find yourself in this place where you, where you have a decision to make. Your circumstances have led you to this place where you feel you have to take matters into your own hands. You have to make decisions based on your own experience and on your own convictions and opinions. What I'm telling you today is if you do that, you will increase the destruction and the, the downward spiral in your life 
But if you realize that you've drifted away from allowing truth to dictate your opinions, truth to dictate your actions, and you make a decision today to repent and ask God, Lord, what would you have me do in my situation? Setting aside my feelings, setting aside my hurts, setting aside what's culturally relevant, setting aside what advice I've been given, setting aside every little option that I have and saying, Lord, I'm yours in the first place. I don't belong to myself. What would you have me do in my situation? And then you put your nose in Scripture and you read what Scripture says about your situation and with full abandonment, you decide to do that. In time, you'll see life, you'll see health, you'll see healing, you'll see this, fortunate, prosperous, you'll see with the last part of this verse says, he will be like a tree or she will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water, which yield fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do, whatever they do, prospers. It comes to full maturity. It says to us today, if we will choose to make this, this repenting step, to come back to how the Bible wants us to live our lives, it will lead to a place of us bearing fruit in season. In other words, we will be blessed. And in times where we're not bearing fruit, we will still be strong. We'll stay strong. Our leaves will not wither. We will not wilt away. We will make it. We will be strong. Because we're fed by the river of living water, which comes from Scripture. Jesus said, I come that you might have life in abundance. But it requires us to actually live according to His code. I want to I pray for us today. So let's all stand. Bible promises us that the truth will set you free. But did you know that it's not enough to just be aware of the truth? You actually have to apply the truth in your life. You have to abide by the truth for it to set you free, for it to change your situation, for it to heal you, to help you. And so I want us to close our eyes and, and, and just think through where I am at right now with regard to how I treat the scriptures. And if there's lies that you've been entertaining, that you've befriended, that have justified you to do things that you felt was necessary, and or if there was lies that was spoken over who you are and you've kind of settled in that and seen yourself in that way, today God is giving you an opportunity to get rid of that, to repent of that, to disassociate with that and to become free and to allow Him to lead you, the only one that can fix you to lead you.
that's you and you would like to be included in a prayer where you make a commitment once again to fully trust and believe in Scripture and allow the truth of God to replace those lies. Put up your hand. We're going to pray together. Acknowledge this before the Lord that you've drifted and you want to return. You want to return fully to living according to His ways, not according to your own opinions and your own reasonings. We will pray now. Father, you see every person's hand and heart, Lord. You know where we're at, Father. Today we make a decision, God, to disassociate ourselves with sin. Lord, we reject the sin in our lives. Help us, Father, to get victory over it. Lord, we reject those lies that were spoken to us about our situation, about how we ought to live our lives. And we choose, Lord, to live according to your truth. And we commit, Lord, to meditate, to think about, and to speak your words over our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.